From the McCourney Institute for Democracy, in the studios of WPSU Radio on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam, and this is Democracy Works. Uh, Today, uh, Michael, we're going to talk to uh, Peter Buckland. Um, He works here at Penn State. He's the uh, uh, academic program manager of the uh, Sustainability Institute here on campus. Um, But that's not really why we want to talk to him. Uh, We we brought him in because he's also uh, chair of the Board of Supervisors of the uh, Township of Ferguson, which is... um, uh, one of the uh, local uh, government bodies here around in in Happy Valley. It's a lovely township. I used to live there. There you go. And uh, and so uh, we talked to him. Uh, Jenna and I talked to him over just over coffee, and uh, he has a very compelling uh, and interesting take on on local government. And as a uh, elected office holder himself, um, we thought it'd be interesting to bring him in. Um, you know, local government is. Um, in some ways, I mean, maybe abstractly, um, a, a very uh, appealing part, uh, a way to express your, your, um, your democratic self, right? Well, it has a deep tradition in American political, right. in, in American politics. And we've talked about this a little bit before when we talked about school districts, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, localism has a deep tradition in right. American political thought. Uh, you know, New England town meetings still are going on. Right. And it's something distinctive about American politics that, you know, Tocqueville was very aware of writing in the 1810s, 1820s. So, no, it is. It is. Yet, interestingly, they were not written into the Constitution in any way. That's true. And uh, local governments are also certain kinds of economic arguments uh, that lead conservatives to prioritize local governments. But, you know, I also uh, remember that when David Frum was here, he, he talked a lot about how People just need to get involved in anything Mm -hmm. and that there's something very democratic about that and there's something important to one's development as a democratic citizen. And local governments do offer people the opportunity to get involved in a way that other governments really do not. Uh, Involved and also um, engaged at a more face-to-face level, right? You can can meet your uh, supervisor for a cup of coffee and that's not unusual or, you know, out of – out of bounds, right? I mean, you know, meeting your congressman, well, maybe your representative, that can happen, but you know, it's not the same kind of thing. The other thing, the other thing that distinguishes local government is that the issues that are at play that that are being decided have a direct and and significant impact on your life, right? Right. And many of them are very nonpartisan. You know, there's not really a Democratic or Republican way to pick up the garbage. Right. Yet. When local politics are often, you know, dominated by people that are activated by a certain kinds of issues. You, know, you may not care that much about what a lot of what's going on or you just be content with what's going on. But when a, when a particular kind of issue comes up that is going to affect you, is going to affect your property, then people have a place to go and 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 to be hurt. So that's all the positive. Yeah. Um, that's not the whole story, however, right? Um, local elections are um, notorious for low turnout, right? Um, and often uncontested. Right. It's also um, this this you know just replete with with arcane and complicated language right so you go into one of these meetings and you hear people just throwing around acronyms like tiffs and cdbg and things like that and it's extremely complicated and unless you have some kind of 
um, you know, understanding of what's being talked about, it's just um, impossible to follow. Right. And so you want to know what's going on, but you still just can't figure out what's going on. So anyway, um, I think we've kind of laid out the the pros and cons here that we have this um, opportunity and yet it doesn't, it's very, it's very difficult to take advantage of it. Peter's a nice example of somebody actually who got into local government because of his activist involvement in a particular issue that was affecting the local government, and and that led him to run for office. Right. So let's let's uh, bring in uh, Peter and, and Jenna and hear what they have to say. All right. This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Peter Buckland. Peter, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So we are talking today about local government, um, mostly, I think, at the the macro level. But I thought it would be helpful to start uh, if you could give some context to the area that that you represent. Um, One of the, I don't know if it's a feature or a bug, maybe we'll get to this, but one facet of of local government is that um, different states organize their governments in in different ways. So for folks not familiar with how things are set up in Pennsylvania, can you tell us um, who you represent and how that structure um, kind of relates to the the larger um, government, countywide, statewide, et cetera? Sure. Um, So I serve as the chair of the Ferguson Township Board of Supervisors. We have five supervisors, and we represent the roughly 19 to 20,000 people who live in about 50 square miles uh, west of State College Borough. Uh, we are sort of semi-urban, suburban, and then we have a lot, a lot of agriculture and forests. Now, we are a township, and we are a home rule township. And so this is already getting really complicated. And we are a municipal government and one of 2,560 municipal governments in Pennsylvania of all different sizes. So you have really big city like Philadelphia, and then you can have a little tiny second-class township, maybe something like Loyal Hannah Township in Westmoreland County. Then there are all those county governments that we relate to in some ways, but they control, say, so, excuse me, social services. And we do things like police, parks, transportation, so your roads, uh, land development, things like that. So the context of your immediate life in Pennsylvania is through a local municipal government. The county does social services. Whatever we do, it cannot supersede the Constitution, obviously, nor the state Constitution, nor statutory laws of the state or federal government. Um, But there are things that we can do so that we can be liberated slightly from some state um, requirements, and that's by creating a home rule charter. And we have one of those in Ferguson Township. Right. So um, a supervisor is is an elected position. Is that right? Yeah, we're sort of like the mini Congress for Ferguson. What drew you to, to get involved in local government? Um, hmm. I've been an activist for a long time and primarily on issues of sort of community and environment. Uh, and so an issue came up in the township. Uh, around a land development plan that a lot of people were really upset about. 
And I was pretty upset about it. And if you want to get into the details about it, we can. But I thought, you know, this is really a shame. The people who have been there before have really kind of made a mistake. And I went before that board and I said, this project is a failure. It's already a failure. And we need to learn from it. And I just thought, after the prompting of a couple of people, I should run. Um, So I did. I was unopposed, so I didn't really have to do very much, which is kind of too bad. I mean, if you think about it, there should be the competition of ideas, and people don't pay attention. And so that, and not people, not enough people pay attention, I should say. But I was, and I just, I decided to run. I got in, and I ran very much with an agenda. I'm a totally agenda-driven person, uh, and I've been working on it ever since. Once you actually got into the position, how did it differ from what you you thought it would be as an outsider, as someone going before the board? Hmm. I think before I ran that I... I underestimated the slowness and the deliberate transparency that um, at least our local and regional government um, sort of goes through. Uh, So the slowness is because all of the processes have to be predictable. They have to be deliberate. They have to follow rules. You just have to do that. And that's because... Under, I mean, because the law wants local government in Pennsylvania to be accountable. And the transparency, you can, you can write to know. I've had my emails um, in write to know requests, and I've seen them from the citizens who have accessed them. So the transparency, I think, is, is pretty remarkable. And so we also have uh, public access television that monitors most of, uh, I mean, all of our boards, but then our planning commissions and some of the, uh, the other regional authorities and things like that. So I think that that's really great. And I had definitely underestimated that because when you're running and you're like excited, you think these people are trying to get something over on me. You know, I could have actually gotten more information than I had before I ran. So Sure. And and to that point about kind of the, the slowness of, of things and how everything has to kind of follow um, Robert's rules of order and, and things, I think that's maybe some of where that kind of glazing over happens. So, you know, <laughs> um, when I think about local government, I think about, you know, property tax assessments and feasibility studies oh, and, yeah. and things that don't, aren't exciting to, you know, or don't, it, it it's hard to, to keep attention on those those types of things. Um, so from your experience, what are some strategies for, one, how people can, can find out what their local government's up to and, and how how can people from other, in, in other areas, other local governments kind of keep these, these issues front and center, you know, try to make what they do relevant to the constituents that they serve? Sure. Um. So and and I think what local government can do so that people can access it easier. So not just what people at home, but I also want to speak to some of maybe my fellow elected officials as well. So on you know the end of it on the citizen side, the the agenda of a meeting that's public. It is easy to access 
I would guess, pretty much anywhere in the Commonwealth. So getting those and simply looking through what's on the agenda, you can see what they're working on and the stuff that affects your daily life. So it could be, you know, a uh, the a possible implementation of the extension of a sewer line into a neighborhood that would affect the ratepayers of that authority, for example. Um, that's not sexy, right? But it could affect your pocketbook and it could affect how a neighborhood is going to change in the future, right? That is like people's livelihoods. So if you care about your livelihood, just read the agenda and just the quick stuff in the agenda. The other thing would be meet your official. Meet the person that you've voted for or maybe you voted against or maybe you didn't even vote, right, which is a huge problem with local elections. So try to engage that person because they are your neighbor and they are deliberating with other people presumably on your behalf. Most of us aren't monsters. We're doing this because we want to serve the people who elected us. And most of us are good faith people. There aren't lots of like crooks. On the other side, I would think that using, you know, modern technology, social media, et cetera, et cetera, that's something that all local governments should be doing. Simply trying to keep people aware as much as possible. Um, how often do you hear from people and, and what types of things do they tell you? So I, I just want to say one thing. So on the, the township or the municipal side, something that we do, and we're, we're small, we're 19 to 20,000 people, is we have these, uh, every couple of months we do a coffee and conversation where in different parts of the township, we invite citizens to simply come and talk with people who work at Ferguson Township. And we also invite state officials to come, like the local representatives, Carrie Benninghoff or um, Jake Corman, Rich Irvin, right, because they represent to the state level. Um, so I would encourage townships to do, to do that. As far as hearing from citizens, it certainly depends on the issue. So that sewage extension uh, project that I was just talking about, that's not abstract. That's something happening in uh, a neighborhood in Ferguson Township. And I have heard from that neighborhood uh, quite a bit. Um, and not all the same opinions, but they're in my ward. And so I really need to understand what they're thinking about and trying to muddle through so that I can kind of muddle through with them uh, and and do the best I can to both represent them. But also, I am my own person. And so, you know, you can get into some, you know, I get into push and pull with them as well on any number of things. Sure. And, and coming from, as you said, an, an activist background, have there been times when you've had to make a decision where you maybe personally didn't didn't agree with, but had to kind of defer to the the interests or or you know what you perceive to be the interests of the the people you you represent. Hmm. Okay, so on this land development issue that I was talking about earlier, um, which has gotten a lot of local press, and so people call it the Toll Brothers issue. There, there were a whole. S suite of decisions that had already been made by the time I was elected that really limited my authority 
and power to do what I would have really liked to have done, which was to say, go away. You can't build that. But the land development plan was approved by the time I was elected, the final plan. It was challenged in court, but it was inevitably not heard by the Supreme Court because of a technicality with the timing of the filing of the lawsuit. At that point, my ability to do very much was incredibly limited, including like the finalization of a sewage pump station that I would have loved to have been able to say, no, you can't do that. And that I didn't say no on principle because we would have lost in court was very disappointing to people who are my regular political allies, who it probably would have been really cathartic if I would have just been like, you know what? No. But then I we could have ended up in court and, you know. Yeah, this 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 um, land development issue, I think, speaks to maybe some of the the pressures that local governments face. I know I was I've, I've been reading a lot about uh, the the Foxconn uh, developments in 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 Wisconsin, and you know these these companies. In in your case, a, a land developer, in in Wisconsin's case, a, a big technology conglomerate, coming to these local governments and with their you know bags of money outstretched to say, hey, we want to give you, all, you know, we want to bring all this, what they describe as economic development to the region or uh, to their their uh, municipality, um, but trying to, you know, balance that against how how residents feel, quality of life. And it, it, those are those are some some tough, tough decisions. So what what do those types of of, of pressures look like? Well, I think one of the things that that ha- that happens at at all levels of government is that you know people who are trying to make money no matter what they're doing they're going to they have to work they have to engage the government they're paid and so they're paid in essence to engage the government and that face time that just repeated time in front of you from a land developer or, you know, representatives of a Foxconn or whoever, that's that like mere um, that recent that continued recency effect. You just get acclimated to working with these people, Um, whereas citizens, most citizens are not as engaged that often. So if you think about what a developer of a Toll Brothers project or, you know, any of these large land developments, they regularly engage the planning and zoning office. They're there a fair amount. A regular citizen is not. And so I don't want to say it's as pernicious as like regulatory capture, but in a way, developers simply by their presence can sort of practically capture a department and they have, like you said, bags of money. Not all of them have bags of money, but the toll brothers are like, they're a fortune 500 company. They're huge, right? They have armies of lawyers, you know, like they can, they have a lot that they can do and that can overwhelm a local government like that. You think about what almost happened with Nestle 
here last year. That, I mean, there were a lot of people who, me included, who were really worried about their ability to simply overwhelm a township and its water authority. A lot of times um, issues, people might not find out about them until there's a reporter from the local press out covering a meeting, which you guys might be taking an action to make a, a final vote or a final decision on something. What can local governments do to, to try to get these issues out in front of people earlier so they can be more informed and you know, maybe communicate if they have, have feelings about you know, what's, what's going on? I think that there are three possible, I don't know if they're strategies, yeah, there are three there are three things that folks could do. Individuals, like I said earlier, should pay attention to agendas. Because if something is if you care about where you live, the governing body of where you live, you should be paying attention to it because it can very quickly change something about your life. Okay, so that's one. So being ahead of the game can save you a lot of headache later. It is not all on uh, an individual. It's not all on citizens' backs, though. Second thing is that, like I said earlier, the township or city or whoever should very, very deliberately let people know what's coming, do as much as they can to publicize and be transparent about pending decisions. And the third thing is that local media in this country is not doing what it needs to do. It is often the mole activist who sort of makes a giant scene when it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be that media is doing what it ought to do and letting people know that would then also require citizens to be paying attention to local media, which they are often not because they're screaming at each other about a, a federal government shutdown or, you know, who, you know, Clemson versus Alabama or something like that. So that it's a really interconnected problem. So and it's all about paying attention and being clear. Yeah, there there is definitely this kind of spiral between just just as you suggested, you know, people don't pay attention to local media, so the media doesn't have as many, you know, reporters and things to go out and cover things like, you know, what you do. We've talked about it on this show before. I don't think anybody's really figured out how to solve that one just yet, but this is definitely another angle of that of that problem. Well, and and I don't <clears throat> I sort of really don't like the word solution. It's not a math problem. Human beings are not numbers that you plug into arithmetic or, you know, a, a, a calculus equation or something like that. It just doesn't work that way. We're messy. And, and so it's like it's about diligence and persistence and, um, and, and trying to use good judgment. Mm -hmm. um, I know there, there's also ways that local governments can have influence over national or, you know, larger uh, international type of issues. Can you um, talk about what Ferguson Township has done regarding climate change? Yeah, I would love to. This is like my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, when, well, when I was elected, I resolved to myself that I was going to get my board to do something about climate change, preferably something uh, 
very ambitious. When it became clear that Donald Trump was going to withdraw the United States from the Paris Agreement that, you know, 190 countries had agreed to, um, I, uh, I was actually immediately contacted by a bunch of citizens of Ferguson Township saying, what are we going to do? And I was like, I know what we're going to do. And I had worked with a man named Don Brown, who's on the faculty at Widener University. And he's a, he had been a mentor of mine, worked for the Clinton administration, was at DEP. He, he, and he had authored, and we had, and I had quasi co-authored a resolution for him with him, not for him, with him, um, on climate change that would affect a sort of state level group. I took that and I adapted it for our township, couching it in terms of Article 1, Section 27 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, which is the Green Amendment. It's wonderful. Um, and our Home Rule Charter, which has in it a Community and Environmental Bill of Rights that guarantees, guarantees a sustainable energy future. And I said, we need to have a net zero greenhouse gas emissions goal by 2050. It is our responsibility to do that. It is also our responsibility to do it in a fair, economically feasible, transparent way. We need to cooperate and we need to get a process going that gets us to that goal. So we formed a committee because that's what governments do, right? And the first thing that happens from that is um, a greenhouse gas inventory. What's being emitted within Ferguson Township? We've gotten the preliminary draft of that, but we're also working on other things like a solar-powered public works building, um, a source water protection overlay district. And this is like boring government language, but it's basically we are one of the headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay. And so inundation from more intense storms or a record wet year like ours this year, six, over 64 inches of rain. It's crazy. Those are, that's going to go up and the droughts will also go down. So we have to respond to that with infrastructure. We had this piece in the Washington Post recently that I wrote with Brandy Robinson and this uh, little town, it's not that little, I guess, Glens Falls, New York, the editor of their paper wrote this thing like, we could be the next Ferguson Township. And I thought, that is like the coolest thing ever. That's, that's exactly what we want. We want to inspire other small places because all of those small places add up to a lot of people, right? And a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. And, and I guess to, to that point, I think it's easy for, for a cynic to say, oh, yeah, you guys are just one community of, of 25,000 people. Does it really matter or is it going to, you know? It does. It matters hugely because... If you have – you can have an, one individual person who's like, I'm a vegan who buys you know, renewable energy and I ride a bike and my car is an electric car and et cetera, et cetera. And so I've shrunk my footprint. Well, that's just one person. Now, if you have a township that is able to structure things so that more people – maybe not be vegans, but what, whatever. You know, if you can assist in – reducing the greenhouse gas emissions of all of the individual people within your municipality, that's good. And if you have 500 of those places doing that, 
then and they're the size of our township you, you have 500 times 20,000 what you you end up with a million people right that's a million people and if you get a city who who does that or a state that's how that happens that diffusion of policy ideas going around inspires people and well inspires governments and we reshape the context of our lives and hopefully all of it through the democratic processes that we've set up. Sure. Right. Uh, so, um, speaking of, of of democratic processes, did you did it take did it take any convincing to get your your fellow supervisors on board with with this idea? So that resolution passed four to one. Um, the lone dissenter is no longer on the board, and um, you know she was, I think, ideologically just sort of opposed to it. And also said, this is a national issue, um, and we shouldn't be dealing with national issues, which I think is really kind of interesting. Because I was like, have you noticed the stormwater issues that we're facing? Um, We have to handle that. We handle stormwater. The other three on the board were open to it. I think one of them might, might have been a little bit hesitant about it, simply because of the potential ideological backlash that we might get. But didn't so, matter. Yeah. So did you get that that ideological backlash? Uh, there, there, there was a letter to the editor or two saying this is stupid, and you can't you can't control m- methane emissions from cattle. And it's like, well, anyway, right? It sort of that, that doesn't matter, um, and not that that citizen's voice doesn't matter, but it, the the argument is it isn't really what we needed to to deal with. Sure. How did you or, or, or how do you kind of learn all of these these things that you, you have to know in order to, to make these informed decisions? Well, it's a it's a combination of having good training. So the regional government trains you in all of the sort of different things that it does and makes these sort of lunch and learns available. So that's one thing. So that's set up for you as a as an official. And when we came on the board, the manager of the township did a sort of training session with us to take us through the home rule charter, to take us, you know, through the code of ordinances, to get us at least nominally acquainted with the sprawling municipal planning code and things like that. From there, it's on you to choose what you're going to do. And so for me, it it was learning zoning, right? And I don't have all the zoning memorized, but it's like, okay, what what is this? Because it's this abstract, boring thing full of acronyms. But you have to do it. And then you just sort of start doing it. And early on, you ask a lot of questions. And you always ask a lot of questions. And then it's like one day you wake up and you go, oh, I understand the structure of this thing and how it works. But that first year is like, you know, that that's like you're climbing a wall for a while yeah. before it, you know, it kind of levels out. So wh- what's your pitch for, for why people should want to do this? Local government is really where one person or a very small group of people can make a tremendous difference. And um, if you care about where you live and you want to uh, 
improve the quality of life for yourself and your neighbors, and you think that someone needs to do that, that person might be you. And, you know, if, you, if you've had that moment where, you know, I mean, I've, I've had this where you, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but you get so angry about something that's happened and you start shaking and you, you just think someone has to do something about this. That person very well might be you. And it is time consuming. And some of it's pretty hard. And in some municipalities, you don't get paid. We get paid very, very little. But um, it is really, really rewarding. And when you do something good for people, they thank you. They do. And they yell at you a bunch too. But they thank you because it matters to them because you've done something that is good for them that they will be able to see, touch, feel. And that's just awesome. Right. Well, if that doesn't get people all around the country running to to sign up or to you know run in their their next their next primary, I don't know what will. That was a that's a pretty good pitch. Oh, thank you. So we're going to end as we always do with our four mood of the nation poll questions. So, Peter, thinking specifically about American politics, what makes you angry? Disinformation. What makes you proud? Um. So there are. Uh, some young people who make me very proud. Um, and I'll use a very specific example. Um, I do work at, at Penn State. And my intern right now, Claire, has been working with a local school, um, a local elementary school, that is undergoing um, a renovation for what is LEAD, the Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And she's an education and public policy student who's been working with the teachers, administrators, um, the physical plant, the architects, so that the change in that school, which will include solar photovoltaic um, panels on the roof and this cool rain garden, so that those features can be included in the education of those students. And Claire is engaged both in something that she wants to do professionally, but then she's also – it is it is it is citizen action, and she's engaged in the processes of a public institution and its democratic input processes. And, like, that's great. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, maybe maybe in a few years we'll have Claire on the show to talk about all the, all the great things she'll go on to do. And, and all, you know, She like will that. do awesome things. <laughs> um, what makes you worry? I think that the really distrustful, heated rhetoric in the U.S. right now is really makes me worry a lot. The way that people won't listen to each other and frankly, just this sort of by by some people and, and I'll say especially on the right is so conspiratorial and crazy and loaded with, addicted to disinformation. It's awful. It's corrosive. And then finally, what gives you hope? Small groups of compassionate, passionate, well-informed people. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your perspective on local government. Thank you very much for having me.
we're back, and thank you, Jenna, for for that interview. And uh, Peter, like I often find with uh, many of our locally elected officials, is uh, you know intelligent and thoughtful, and uh, it was really and, interesting and, to hear from him. And 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 genuinely a public servant. And genuinely a public servant. I mean, yeah, giving lots of time, right, uh, on uh, a range of issues, mundane and and not so mundane. I I, I was. Uh, Particularly interested in this, uh, in what he had to say about climate change and the fact that Ferguson Township passed this uh, resolution uh, about climate change, and other communities have done this as well. Because I, I think it's it, it's, you know, on the one hand, it's easy to be cynical, yeah. about something like that, <laughs> particularly for me, <laughs> especially for Chris, yeah, and uh, well, for me too. And I mean, and also because you know, you often don't think of local governments or even state governments as being very effective venues for dealing with environmental issues because mm-hmm. environmental issues have all kinds of externalities. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, Ferguson Township can uh, re- regulate emissions as much as it wants and they're still going to transfer over to uh, state college or neighboring mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. neighboring townships and that's often the argument that's made for why environmental it's protection needs to be made at the national issue. Needs to be why made does at the, the United States level. do anything when China's doing what it's doing, right? I, uh, right. It's right. made at the mm-hmm. national level too. On the, on the other hand, you know, I think that the the climate change, what, what, what went on with climate change in Ferguson Township offers people a way of becoming involved and mm-hmm. staying, staying attached and staying committed uh, to an issue that's important to them. And that actually, the, the the fact that Ferguson Township does something like that may have feedback effects on people within the community, too, that lead them to become maybe either more opposed or, or more in favor of the issue, forces them to think about it, forces mm-hmm, them to mm-hmm, confront it. Mm-hmm. No, I, you know, I mean, I thought he made a really good case. I actually did, um, you know have this notion that this is like, you know, uh, nuclear free zones, sanctuary cities, that it was more... Uh, well, sanctuary cities can yeah, have actual true. real... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has, especially lately. ...effects right. for mm-hmm. people, both, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conservatives have some legitimate arguments against them that they're protecting people that that uh, federal authorities are going after, and, and others can argue they're offering true sanctuaries. Right. Uh, granted. Um, however, there were all, there's also communities where it is merely a something to say and doesn't have any impact you know, policy-wise whatsoever. But... And, and I remember State College years ago where it was performing symbolic gay marriages. Yeah, yeah. That had no actual standing in court. But, mm-hmm. but I, I think it changes... I think it has an effect on public opinion. Right. It, it, uh, over time... Uh, little by little, it, it it does, as you say, create a um, and it insists on your you know the citizens um, to to reflect on this and to think about it and say, is this what I want my tax money spent for? Why do I do that? Why should we do this? Oh, I see. So maybe we can have an impact and and it and it it it, it constrains policymakers. To continue the conversation, and, and and also remember that local governments are the area that are most affected by the idea that people can vote with their feet, and, and so people can say, "Oh, this is the kind of community I want to live in." They have they're expressing these values, or this is the kind of community I really don't want to live in because they're expressing these sorts of values. Well, you see that all. I mean, this kind of. Um the great sort, the big sort, I should say, where, yeah, even within, you know, large metropolitan areas, they're sorting by partisan identity or, or, or what have you. Right. Well, even before we were thinking of the big sort, we, we did think in terms of people moving to uh, 
moving to areas that had, uh, say, a package of taxes and uh, services that suited what they were suited what they were interested right, in. Right, right, right. Well, in any case, I think it is um, um, a, a a legitimate engagement of of policy at the local level to at least, you know to 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 raise the profile of this issue and to offer a, a model of what policy can you know what a local elected official can do to to make an impact and for people to get involved and to cut their teeth on getting involved and 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 where that might go you don't you don't know but it's you know it's increasingly difficult it seems to me to be involved at the federal level other than an election and mm-hmm. What's a town hall? Right, right. <laughs> they don't even do town halls anymore, most members of Congress. And, and so they're increasingly out of touch of people, um, for people. And this does offer a way for people to get involved. And, you know, it's hard to get involved and it can be scary to get involved. And there is something to be said uh, for local government as a place to get started and, and to learn, hey, I have a voice and right. I can I can practice my voice. And, yeah. it, and again, I think you, the point you made at the beginning is, you know, these people are not in it for the money. These people see this as a way of um, contributing mm-hmm. to the well-being and the, and the, the, the common weal of their community. And, and that really is an admirable thing that we, that we don't um, – I, 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 I appreciate that Peter said he gets thanked. I bet a lot of people would say they get a lot more complaints than they do thank yous. Yeah. But it's worth just pointing out that these are genuine public servants and we all are in their debt. Yep. Well, thank you to Peter. Yeah. And to all our local officials. Absolutely. Like all our local elected <laughs> officials. <laughs> We're handling on a positive who, note. Who are, who are doing the hard work of democracy. Hard work of democracy. Amen. From Democracy Works, I'm Michael Berkman. I'm Chris Beam. Thank you very much for listening. Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU Penn State. Our hosts are Michael Berkman, Chris Beam, and me, Jenna Spinelli. Andy Grant is our engineer, and Mark Stitzer is our editor. Additional support comes from Emily Reddy, Shireen Stanford, Craig Johnson, and the rest of the team at WPSU. For detailed show notes and discussion questions for each episode, visit our website at democracyworkspodcast.com. And if you like what you heard today, please consider rating or reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.